0: Welcome to Unvarnished, where we talk to smart people from around the print world. Today, we're talking with Kate Dunn from Evolve Sales Group. Kate has been around the print industry for a good part of her career with experiences at Xerox and Keypoint Intelligence InfoTrends. She has trained and coached scores of salespeople, teams, and business owners. I'm so excited for this interview because of Kate's energy and her straightforward approach and style. And I think you're going to like it too. All right, I'm gonna start right off. Uh, I'm sure you're talking with lots of people in the industry uh, every day, and I'm sure you're hearing plenty of bad news, uh, but I don't wanna go there. What are you seeing seeing for good news out there? What are some wins that you're seeing with your clients out there?
1: Okay, great, great question. And there actually have been plenty. So um, yes, the industry's overall down, But there's been a lot of little wins and uh, even some major wins. So some of my customers just reacted really quickly, um, right-sized to their uh, employee force, um, and then actually found out, wow, we could be a whole lot more productive with less people. (laughs) So even as the volume came back, they kept their headcounts where they had reduced them to. They were producing the work, putting out great quality stuff. And they ended up, even though their sales were down, their profits were up. So that's one good thing that happened. So hopefully, you know, that carries forward as the market starts to return. And then these companies are much more profitable and kind of leaner and meaner. Um, In other cases, uh, people really captured or capitalized on like the e-commerce trade. I have a couple customers are super smart and they looked at, you know what was happening with uh, everybody buying everything online, and they were like, "Why, why doesn't that work for business as well?" So they uh, really started focusing on e-commerce portals or or uh, or corporate branded uh, sites for their customers. Uh, went like crazy putting them up. Uh, Got all their customers on board and then had a really good defined strategy for going back in there and adding applications. So those customers, yes, growing and growing with much more sticky, if you will, business than what they had before. I have uh, one littler, smaller company, and um, I love this guy. I've worked with him for many, many years, and he's a smaller printer, Um, really has always kind of struggled to get a salesperson. Um, of quality so we worked on uh, hiring this great gal she literally started March 14th (laughs) so you know she came from outside the industry and the you know whole whole world turned upside down Um, he wanted to cut her hours back um, because he was cutting everybody's hours back and he's a great guy so he's trying to be fair across the board and so we talked about it and I was like she's too good we'll lose her and so, you know, first time in his life, like he decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay. I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll reduce it for others, but I'm gonna keep her working. And so, he's a small business, about a million, three million, four in business at the end of the year. Um, with everything that had happened, instead of the typical twenty to thirty percent off, he was flat. She made up the difference. So, yes, they, um, and we're coming on strong into the new year so you know big decision on his part to kind of suck it up and keep going but it was the right decision and she um made tremendous progress uh over the year and was like one of the best hires i've been involved with in the printing industry so you know he's that is a gamble that he took and it's going to really pay off for him so that's a good example um other customers of mine who were coming maybe out of the fulfillment space Um, looked at, okay, there's going to be sales organizations all over the place that have to now drop Shep to their direct salespeople's homes instead of their business locations. So they just swung into action and took their fulfillment expertise and went in that direction. And they've actually done better um, than even before the the pandemic. So there's a lot of good news out there. Um, I would say the kind of bad thing to, is if you didn't change anything and you just kept your fingers crossed that is all going to bounce back. You're probably not in the best position at this point, um, but it's not too late. You know, it's, it's, let's look at the market. Let's think about what's really going to happen, what your customers going to do moving forward and it's still time to make changes that could put you in a better position.
0: Awesome. Now, uh, I mean, that kind of leads me to the question of um, th- a lot of the other businesses out there are being affected by this, you're seeing a lot of acceleration of different trends. Um, and kind of some of the stories that you you shared there are about and I hate to use the word because it's been beaten up like crazy pivoting. Um, so uh, how, how do you talk to customers now about thinking differently, uh, making sure that they are looking at their whole business and kind of rounding it out and and making a, a lateral move?
1: You know, what's interesting about that is that the problems that we had in the industry just were exacerbated by the pandemic. Like they existed before, okay? And it's a fundamental problem. I've been talking about it for 25 years. Our sales process, models, everything are not good. They're just bad for a lot of different reasons. Um, and so I think, you know, the the idea is Yet, let's use this disruption to figure out exactly what we should be doing and make, make changes. And it, it's systemic changes. So some of the things that happened as a result of the pandemic, and I think this is going to end up good, for, working really well for these companies, is I had older sales reps that have been doing this for 30 years. They were nearing retirement. I would describe them as coasting into retirement Um, When they would call me in to train, they clearly weren't going to change anything. They hated every moment of it. They didn't want to move forward. They just really wanted to get to the finish line and be done with it. Um, Well, so the pandemic gave a lot of businesses an opportunity to kind of part ways with those guys and accelerate the eventual retirement date. And that's going to end up being a good thing, because if you have a couple good sales reps and five or six that are in that bucket, it's basically pulling everybody down. It's really hard to segregate the good from the bad in a situation like that. So I think moving forward, we, we can come out of this a whole lot stronger Um, You know, we've kind of gotten rid of those people that didn't want to change. Um, You know, I I always look at when I'm going to go in and and train and coach sales reps is, is our problem here, a can't do or a won't do. So if it's a can't do, I don't understand what I, you know, I need help. I need training. I need coaching to be able to learn the things I need to do to do this differently. Or is it a won't do? In a lot of cases, it's just a flat out won't do. And, uh, you know, social selling and uh, presenting from a standpoint of insight and all those good kinds of things. If I don't want to learn it, it's hard. And so I'm not going to learn it. So I think, you know, overall, we've kinda, we kind of we can look at this disruption and say, let's get the right people. It's going back to good to great. We need the right people on the bus and in the right seats. And I'm also seeing some change there, too, where we had jack of all trade sales reps. um you're supposed to account manage and prospect, which basically doesn't work. Um, Everybody will tell you, you're going to tilt towards the account management side of things. And so I think, you know, with coming out of the pandemic, we need to take a really hard look at how we go after new business. And most companies need a dedicated new business person and some account managers, you know, you know, even a $10 million company, a $20 million company might be able to get away with one good business developer who can bring in a million or $2 million a year that you can keep. Um, So it's not like the whole sales force has to change. We need one good person. Um, But included in that transition is going to be a change in the compensation plan. I always look at it as like we paid those Folks that were supposed to be jack of all trades based on their ability to take care of accounts and get new business and they're not getting new business. So basically, we're paying for something we're not getting as a as a owner there or as a as a company. So, um, you know, that you, you can't keep doing that. Nobody can pay for something that they're not getting and we're not getting new business development. So I think that's going to come out of this, too. Um, and new business is hard. It's a lot of grunt work. Um, it takes an average of eight touches to get somebody's attention, and that can range anywhere from five to 21. Most sales reps lose interest after one or two touches. Um, so you know another thing that I think we need to look at is which software companies do and a lot of companies is that dedicated prospector position called an SDR a sales uh, development rep. And they're the ones sitting behind a desk all day using LinkedIn, sending emails, calling customers, trying to qualify opportunities and appointment setting for that new business rep. I think that's got to be the model that we move to in the future. Um, Because it is a grunt. Why do I want to take that racehorse new business person who's really great and kind of tie them up in the barn, making phone calls all day and sending emails trying to get appointments like There's a much more productive way to do that. And I think we have to move in that direction. And then we also have to look at, you know, for companies that have a wide swath of customers. So I have customers that do $100,000 or more with me, a million dollars or more. And I have customers that do, you know, $600 and $1,000 a year with me. Direct sales coverage of an account that is probably less than $25,000 a year does not make sense today. Um, and so we also have to look at you know inside sales and things like that that could help us be more productive on that portion of our customer base. oh uh, wow <laughs> why' get me going like you who knows what will happen here yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: that that was that was a little bit that uh that's a lot to unpack. Um, and, and mentally, I just took a whole bunch of notes. So I'm going to go back to, I don't know, about one third of the way through that. And, 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 and one of the points was social selling, uh, that you touched on. I mean, it is a hot topic. I mean, I see a lot of people in the industry talking about this. Um, I guess I want to find out, do you have any anecdotal, uh, evidence? Of those people that made that transition early with social selling, because there is a lot of people that are okay, you know, they're reticent to do it. But do you have any, you know, good stories? And I'm, again, I'm here. I'm going with the good news stories um, of people who did this early, even pre-pandemic, that are reaping rewards now.
1: Yes. So my um, my my rep, who I talked about, who the owner was brave enough to continue to pay her full salary during uh, her ramp-up period at the beginning of the pandemic. She's prolific on social media. It's generating leads for her. She's closed new business accounts. She didn't start with any accounts. So everything that she sold was literally new and she did it during a pandemic. And if I had to, uh, she's great rep. She's one of the best reps I've ever coached. Like she's super coachable. Um, But I think the fact that she was on social media and she was posting ideas and insight and she was doing it regularly and consistently and building up herself as an expert and the company as a thought leader really, really helped, especially during the pandemic. So, um, you know, I know it works. Um, I do a lot of projects for companies and it requires me to go and research, you know, their competitors or even them Um, and you know, we don't do a good job with social media. A lot of sales reps don't have profiles. A lot of owners don't have profiles. Companies don't even have company pages. Um, so we got to fix all that because it. you saw the value of it in the pandemic because the traditional sales guys, gals, um, you know, they were seeking out normalcy. They wanted to be able to meet with their customers and that was not going to happen. And if they were prospecting, because all the owners were like, find some new business, and they were trying to prospect, but people weren't on their business lines. They were at home on their cell phone. So if you didn't have that phone number, you weren't going to get through to them. So the power of that LinkedIn channel, especially LinkedIn, um, really you know bubbled up to the top as something that could help you get in front of you know n- new opportunities. So it's a critical, critical challenge um, for us, or uh, not challenge, but an objective for us as an industry to beef that up. Uh, I actually did a webinar yesterday with Patrick Whalen from Great Reach Communications, um, and for the first time in my career, we literally exceeded the, the limit of the webinar, which um, never happens. So um, usually you usually get a bunch of signups, and you think, well, this is going to be great, and you might get 75% of the people on the call, but we had it looked like every single person who had registered tried to get on it, and we were covering this. And they were sending me emails, hey, I I couldn't get on, you know, can I get a copy? Can I hear the recording? And so it's obviously a hot topic in the industry. Um, And so we need to, you know, businesses need to look at how we can make that channel effective. And it starts with really understanding what you, how you want to be positioned as a company. You know, so... In a way, we could say we hurt ourselves because in the pivoting, which you mentioned earlier, you know, people went to a lot of product-centric posting, you know, like, hey, we have sneeze guards. Hey, we have COVID signage. Hey, we have floor graphics. Hey, we can, you know, do a banner that you're open for delivery only, like, and it was all product-oriented. Well, all that, if everybody's doing the same kind of marketing, I get to the point where it's like, okay, y'all look like who has the best price. And that's exactly what happened. Um, What we should have been doing is positioning ourselves as, you know, a a expert that can help you accomplish the business objectives that you want. You needed traffic. You needed online traffic to your restaurant, um, you know, e-commerce site. We need leads for companies that primarily relied on trade shows. We don't have the trade shows. They still need leads. If the sales reps were out there talking about that, like, let's figure out a way for you to get some leads in here, Mr. Company Guy. Um, you know they'd be having more effective conversations so um social media is a great place for content on that and it's a really important aspect of of positioning yourself as a trusted advisor so that people come to you um hey help, help me solve this problem
0: okay uh, that kind of leads into this other question that I have is a lot of people are intimidated by the the word uh, thought leadership they, they 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 feel like imposters because they um, They feel more comfortable, as you said, talking about products, um, stuff that comes off of their machines versus the results of those things that come off the machines. Because now you're talking, now you're getting into an area that's maybe what they think is an agency or a marketing group should be talking about. Um, And I think they can get paralyzed by that. Uh, Do you have any suggestions uh, or tips on getting comfortable with producing that kind of content and putting that content out there, how to get over that fear?
1: I always say to folks, I mean, first off that uh, what you just mentioned happens a lot, you know, and it's, I'm not an expert on marketing. How can I talk about that with my customers? And I kind of always push back and say, you're a consumer, you buy stuff what gets your attention when you decide to buy that washing machine over instead of that one or that car over that car like we're all consumers we're all um seeing all these marketing messages out there if you're paying attention which may be the operative word there you know you're seeing how people do things and what's different and what seems to work so they're more afraid of it you know kind of the the antiseptic version uh of marketing than they are of the real life thing So I always try to start there. It's like you actually do know more than you think you know. And then the other aspect of it is as printing companies, we sold like we were manufacturers. Like I produce brochures, don't you want some? You know, I produce print, don't you want some? I do signs, need any? But that's not really what we're doing. And, you know, if you start at the beginning and then kind of reverse engineer it, the content gets easier. So if you say what I'm really doing is I produce the method for companies to drive traffic to their retail store or to their location or to generate leads to sell something or um, information that builds loyalty or um, I help companies improve the productivity of their employees if you start with what it is that the print is designed to do then you work backwards from there so it's designed to do those things. What are the problems and challenges that my customers are facing when they try to drop, drive traffic to their store or find leads or um, develop a, or convert a lead into a customer? Then you go back to the next level. It's like, okay, well, how do, how do things work that way? Well, personalization makes it better. Interactivity makes it better. Being able to link it to digital channels and track it makes it better. I should talk about those things. So, you know, I, I say, like, figure out what you're selling and who you're selling it to, why they need what you're selling, and then think about the ways that you do that better than your competition and talk about those things, not the print, but the pieces of the puzzle that allow the print to succeed.
0: It, it, it does, and it reminds me of that uh, story that you mentioned to me before, and I, and I almost wonder if we could role play a little bit. Oh dear you, you had mentioned a story uh, where you were working with a printer uh, that just got a new press and was all excited and was looking at some stuff coming off of it. Can you and that was the uh, the cruises uh, story. can you can you share that with with everyone?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna actually share a different one. Um, that, it's, it's very similar okay, but it's more it, it's about me so I feel good saying it rather than talking about this customer. So, um, when I first got, I worked at, I started my career at Xerox and then I went to work for a commercial printer and I got all into the printing stuff. Right. So, you know, I'm like registration and work in turns and work in temples, and, you know, bleeds and like all the printing terms. I thought I was like such a little expert and, um, I was traveling somewhere with my husband and we got on the plane and I was like thumbing through the airplane magazine and there was, a, they had had a registration problem and like in, you know, one of the signatures inside the magazine was like shifted off the page. And so I'm so proud of my printing knowledge. So I say to my husband, oh my God, can you imagine this? Look, and, um, you know, this got into people's hands and he looks at it and he goes, oh, wow, that's a good deal on shirts. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm a little over my skis here. No one gives a darn about the actual print as long as it does what it's supposed to do and in that case it was supposed to sell shirts and my husband saw that's part of the message and it's kind of like the other story that I told you with the cruises so you know it kind of relates back to what I was saying a second ago it's not the print you know when a marketing VP gets up in the morning they're not thinking oh gotta buy some print today they're thinking we need some leads. And we need to qualify them and get them through the pipeline and sell some stuff. And so if you focus on that, what it's supposed to do, then it's a whole lot easier to work that backwards into what do I need to talk about on my social media platforms or in my messaging when I'm trying to prospect or get attention of a customer.
0: Okay. Now here's, here's where, and maybe I'm totally wrong, where I could see, uh, a print rep getting uncomfortable um, because ultimately you are uh, as a printer, you're responsible for the effectiveness of this piece. Uh, now what what if it what if the print rep sees that the actual piece isn't very effective the way it's been given to them by somebody like me who's a designer? I mean,
1: okay. Um, Well, I mean, that's a good, that's a good question. So, um, I'm going to answer that a couple ways. Like if you have, um, if you have the expertise, like I might say to you, Hey, Chris, I was looking at your piece. Gosh, I love it. It's really good. But, um, I was noticing that, you know, our target audience here is, um, people over 65. And, you know, my eyes are starting to go bad, Chris, and I can't read that call to action. The font's just really small. So do you think maybe we should make that a little bit larger so that that it might stick out for our customers? So is that okay? (laughs) So, you know, I'm going to try to work with you. Like, I know that's your baby. I don't want to tell you that your baby's ugly, but I want to basically put that in terms of, I think it might work better. Here's something you might not have noticed that I'm wondering about whether the audience can see it or react to it.
0: If you are going to take a bigger role in the efficacy of these pieces, then you have to start having those conversations Um, because otherwise everyone loses if ultimately the piece that goes out isn't effective.
1: Right. And I always say like, Honestly, I just want to have been, you can't make a customer do something. I've had customers say, no, leave it that way. I'm going with it. And it didn't work. Um, And, you know, typically worse things than just the font size or whatever. But, um, you know, I feel like, look, I did my best. I warned you that I was concerned about this and you wanted to move ahead with it. At least at that point, it's like, okay, you know, we moved ahead on, we took a chance. It doesn't look like it worked. Let's talk about, you know, the next time and how we can make that better, um, which is an important aspect of that. So I'm kind of a continuous improvement person. So everything you start somewhere, you have to start, you do it, you look at what happened, you analyze the results and you make little tweaks and you just keep moving. So in in that case, you know, I'd kind of set that up with the customer that like, you know, this is how I work. I call it a relationship declaration. So when I you know, talk to uh, back in the days when I was selling, um, you know, direct marketing types applications, I say, look, I spend my team and I spend over 40 hours a week, keeping abreast of what's going on, what makes people react, what are the best practices out there in a variety of industries, so that we can give you good advice. And so the way what allows us to do our best work is to be able to share that with you so that The two of us working together get the best outcome, which in this case is more leads for you, more sales for you, a more effective process, an efficient process for you. Um, That's the way, that's how we do our best work. How does that compare to the way you like to work with a vendor or with a partner? You know, and so if early on in the sales cycle, they're like, nope, I'm just going to tell you what to do and you're just going to do it. That's not a place where I can do my best work. So it's not a good fit, and I can be, you know, okay, great. <laughs> Talk to you later. Um, I'm going to hook you up. Let's say I'm the business development person. That's great. I'm going to put you in charge with one of our account managers. They'll facilitate your jobs um, when you, you know, give them to us, and I'm moving on to somebody else where we can create value. So printers are afraid to do that, but the reality is, if I'm just going to act, if I'm just going to execute the thing you thought of that you did all the heavy lifting on, that you figured out what you needed, who you needed it for, what's it gonna look like, when they're gonna get it, you did all that without me. What value am I providing? It should be based on price. I didn't do much, you know. but if I'm in there with you saying, let's try this, let's tweak this, let's focus on a slightly different um, audience segment, then we're in it together and there's created value for both companies.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask one more formal question here. And that is, you have a top three or top two skills that uh, print sales reps should be thinking about adding to their repertoire?
1: Well, if, if you're good, obviously the social selling, if you're already good, the social selling thing, you know, you need to beef that up because it's really valuable. Um, but normally, you know, they don't call me in because everybody has a great. <laughs> a great process and they're selling, you know, hand over fist, new business and things like that. So usually when I get in, it's, there's no repeatable sales uh, process. So everybody's just doing kind of something that they've developed over the years companies that, um, that have a repeat defined, repeatable sales process. Um, 90% of those that do are considered high performers in their class. Um, so it's, it's super important. And most companies don't have one. So we usually kind of start with that because if you know where you are in your process, then you know what to ha- what needs to happen next and what questions you need to ask and what commitments you need from your customer to move this opportunity through to a close and then continue to develop it into a really healthy customer. So we usually start with sales process. And then, um, you know, the next thing that usually crops up is like, uh, met um, who are we who are we targeting you know so you can't be all things to all people so kind of we work on refining the focus there i talked a little bit about how we're going to have to change you know that segmentation in our sales organization so we can't have a rep that's selling to 300 you know customers that do a hundred thousand dollars a year and then also taking care of a customer that does a thousand dollars a year it's it's unproductive so you know, things like that. So we look at who are we actually focusing on, and then you definitely get to messaging next, you know. So generally, the messaging for everyone starts out with, you know, hey, we're the leading uh, commercial printer in the, you know, what Toledo area, um, and we have many of great customers who love us, and I'd like to come in, get to know you better, and see if there's a fit between what you're doing and what I'm doing. Nobody's taking those meetings. Nobody. Okay, so if that's what your messaging sounds like, and you can't figure out why people won't talk to you, that's the reason. Because I don't don't think I need anything right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Like I don't want to spend my money. So why do I want to entertain a sales rep that's going to come in and ask me questions, you know, to figure out like what they can sell me. So, you know, that's so we we always end up at that point, like we've got to fix that messaging. Um, But somewhere in there usually comes up time management. Um, And then that's always something that I end up having to focus on because reps don't spend enough time selling. Um, The average across the industry is 30% of their available time. They're spending actually selling, trying to sell something. In our industry, um, when I go into work with a company, I usually ask, you know, all the reps to break down their day. So I have sort of anecdotal data on how much, We're lucky if we're spending 15% of our day trying to sell. It's really alarming, actually, you know, because I've got jobs in-house and I'm tracking them and I'm, you know, where are they? And I'm following up on things and I'm answering gazillions of emails from customers and my internal staff, you know, it's a bad process. And so, yeah, they're not sell. they're not spent a lot of time selling. So then you think... I'm not spending a lot of time selling and I have a really ineffective <laughs> process, guess what? I'm not going to be very productive. I'm not going to find a lot of new, new things to sell in that short amount of time with a bad process. So somehow in there, we usually focus a little, uh, you know, some amount of time on getting a good time management uh, process in place so the reps can um, improve their productivity.
0: Great. Okay. One, one last question. If anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to you, what's the best way?
1: Um, The best way is either through LinkedIn. So just look me up, Kate Dunn, Evolve Sales Group on LinkedIn, or my email is kate.dunn, D-U-N-N, at EvolveSalesGroup.com.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Okay, thanks, Chris.
0: Have a great day.
1: You too.